Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis might be more fascist than Donald Trump and just a little bit smarter. It's not necessarily, oh, we're going to have a civil war soon, but I'm just saying, if you look at that statistic there, it shows that because the civil war is, is over doesn't mean that animosity just goes away or you automatically were like, yeah, we were wrong. Hey, I'm so sorry. Yeah, we were wrong. This is the Snap Up, where each week Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla help you digest their favorite stories from the world of sports and politics. The, the history books have gotten away with a lot of the bad things that we've done as society because they were non-Christian nations. And just like the dreaded Snap Book, don't be surprised when we start bringing you over to the left side of the fairway. Back in the good old days, you could have gotten a job doing just about anything if you sat there and said, I have a college degree. But now, that's not the case. So we're going to sit there, we're going to back on these kids. We're going to sit there and say, you're going to owe, you know, thousands of dollars of debt. And in many cases, some of them pay for maybe twenty dollars or $30,000 they borrow. They might pay two or $300,000 in their lifetime with all the competitive interest. Now here are your hackers of the week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla. Hey, Snap Hook listeners, welcome back. Another week, another edition of your favorite podcast, Tim Costello, Scott Barzilla, coming to you on a Tuesday night our time, hopefully fresh Wednesday morning your time. Scott, how are we doing this week? Well, it's a good week. Is it's back to school week, at least for uh, kids in our district. So you know, it's a, it's always an exciting time of year. See who you get in your, who you get in your classes. You know, kids get to see who their teachers are, um, before any assignments are handed out. So before any of the bad stuff that uh, that comes with it. Yeah, Haley Haley went back to school uh, on Wednesday. Sawyer went back on Thursday, and Scotty had her first day of daycare on Monday um, as I had to, to do that first drop-off. You want to talk about a kick in the nard, Scott, is, is dropping your baby off for the first time and just and, and having to leave. That was that was a tough one. That was one that I got spared from because Janet did that with Ann uh, when we took her to daycare for the first time. And, of course, she also got to take her to kindergarten, which is going to be another uh, kick in the nads, mm-hmm. uh, I have to tell you. Um but yeah, it's, you know, it's just part of, you know, part of the journey. Yeah. You know, it's uh, just the way everything worked out. I was, I was fortunate enough to spend her, her whole first six weeks home with her, uh, you know, and Haley's, Haley's actually been back to work, not necessarily with kids, but for two and a half weeks that I was, I was home with the baby by myself. So, um, you know, I was calling myself daddy Poppins had a, you know, had a, um, what's it called? One of the, uh, harnesses wearing the baby, uh, Zach Galifianakis style around the house, getting dishes done, and then uh, hey, it's back to work, back to back to the grind, and and uh, all of a sudden it's really quiet around here during the daytime. I was going to tell you though, uh, my daughter's in band this year. We keep telling her she's in band. She um, she says it's the you know, the flag, you know, so it's not really. But we, we're on the band site, and I was going to tell you that they are looking for an announcer to announce uh, at halftime. You know, so if you're looking to get itching to get back into the announcing game you could announce for the clearbrook uh band here down you know on friday nights 
Yeah, a couple things. Uh, I'm a lake guy, so I don't know that I could could betray my Falcons like that. And uh, number two, I'm I'm not an announcer. I uh, I'm a broadcaster, Scott. Actually, uh, little you know inside the ropes distinction. Uh, I actually hate doing PA. One of my least favorite things in the entire world is is to do PA. And uh, maybe it was different, like if I had like a Matt Thomas doing a Rockets PA kind of thing. But like, I'd rather just not than do PA. Hey, hey, but hey, opportunity for you though. Uh, I'm I'm gonna pass on that one. But you know, I always love Matt. You know, because you know, especially going to the Rockets games. I don't know how many if you watched them during the down times. Oh yeah, yeah. So, like, they're playing the Knicks, and he'd be like, okay, it's Knicks 95, Rockets 64, but it's Rockets ball! <laughs> You're just like, uh, we're down by 31 points. I don't think this is going to be a good one. But, you know, he, he had the enthusiasm. I got to hand him that. Oh, he's fan. I, I will always be a Matt Thomas fan. Um, you know, when I was at UH, Matt Thomas is a, is a cougar himself. And uh, I was the vice president of Coog Radio. I actually reached out to Matt Thomas, and he invited all of Coog Radio, anybody who had a, st- a show to come out to 790, tour the station, uh, see how they did things. Like He's a guy who um, still cares about his university, cares about his city. And uh, I, you know his wake-up calls when he starts his, his, his show at like noon or whatever it is, there's good morning strippers. Like that just gets me every time. Like, how do you not laugh at that? Yeah. Unfortunately I am at work during his show. So, I mean, that's just kind of an unfortunate thing. Uh, um, all the midday stuff. Cause you know, I think, you know, the worst one was somebody, um, somebody actually told me after the fact that, you know, Lance and, and John Granado when they were at six ten actually called me out on the air and I'm teaching. I'm not listening to the radio uh, because, you know, they knew me as kind of stat guy back then. So uh, unfortunately kind of missed my opportunity, you know, to be a. I got called out. I got called out on air while I was interning uh, by the 97.5 guys. It was AJ Hoffman and, uh, the other douchebag that used to do the show with him. And I'm like, I'm pissed. Cause like they were talking about a bunch of like weed stuff and like, I'm answering the phone screening calls and this guy calls in he's talking like, he wants to talk weed with these guys on air. And so like, I'm having to screen this call. So, you know, I ask him a couple questions, make sure he's worthy of being on air. And then I put him on and, uh, like those guys start talking. They're like, yeah, our intern out there, he, he looks like he smokes a shit ton of weed every day. And I'm like, what the fuck, man? Like, I, I'm not paid to be here. My mom's listening to this show because she knows I'm interning on it. And that's the shit that you do. Like, did I smoke weed before I went to the studio that day? Yes. But, like, that's that's still not cool to, to put out on air like that when, like, I watched every per- every person in that studio, like, split up a pound of weed on the fucking studio table and be like, here's your ounce, here's your ounce, here's your ounce, here's your ounce. Like... But I'm the one, the intern that got called out. Come on. Yeah, that was kind of rough. You know, what, what was funny is they, um, I went to a church meeting this last week, and they want everybody to do the ba- uh, criminal background check. You know, because I, I, I don't know if you knew this back then, but we, we all had to do criminal background checks if we're going to work with children. 
Yeah, I would I would uh, hope so, Scott. We went on a sleepaway camp. Exactly. Well, this guy who's, you know, probably pushing 80, he just gets up, well, you're going to be killing volunteers, you know, because, you know, what happens if they had a pot bust back when they were 14? And we're just like, dude, number one, those are those records are sealed. Because yeah, that would be expunged by the time you're an adult. They're, yeah, they're juveniles. And number two, I don't think they're looking for pot bust. I think they're looking for something else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was felonies would be what they're looking for. Yeah. And I'm sorry so, if you oppose if you oppose a criminal background check to the people who are with your children. Like that's a that's a problem. Like I would I would hope that anybody who is you know in the case of the church right where you go on these retreats these are overnight retreats to random secluded places like yeah i hope all those people are at minimum background check let's get a psychological exam going while we're there too for those people well well to be perfectly fair you know we're not they're not taking teenagers to kick a poo uh, that's that's not happening um these are people who are like uh your knights of columbus and people like that you know who are like cooking saturday fish fry and ah, they're maybe and they're, and they're it but see the whole thing is the diocese you know their rules have changed they want anybody who's in ministry to do the background check whether you work with children or not and you know and, and i get it you know there's some people who are, are nervous like our, our priest email he gets hacked like at least like once a month and so you know i can get like like some people are like i don't want to be giving my you know social security number but it goes to the diocese it doesn't go to you know our our parish priest thank god but anyway uh so to kick us off here you know this evening um you know we're right in the middle of pennant chase uh of course we had our texans uh, first preseason game so you know to lead us off with your astros uh, since we, we did talk a little bit of astros baseball last week are there any new impressions that you have over the last week you know that that either excites you or worry you i'm worried I, I'm, I'm legitimately worried about this Rangers ball club, man. Like, I feel like we've said, you can go back and listen to how many episodes of us saying, ah, they'll come back. They'll come back. It'll, you know, it'll shrink. It'll get, they'll get caught. But they just haven't slowed down. I mean, they, they keep winning. It took a walk-off home run. You know, we took two, we took two of three uh, on the road against one of the best teams in baseball and the Orioles. And we, and we damn near lost a game, if not for a walk-off home run. Uh, by the Giants, and so um, to say, you know, you know, worried maybe is the wrong word, but like there needs to be a bigger sense of urgency, especially you know tonight Altuve uh, went down with you know a possible injury to the leg. Um, Fromber was not great last night. He was good, maybe left him in a little too long, but I don't know. Like I feel. I feel like the Astros kind of found a way to outplay Dusty last year because <coughs> they were so good. And it's kind of like, you know, the year the Astros went to the World Series in 2005. I felt like the whole way there, Phil Garner made just terrible decisions by the numbers. Like if you look back at the lineups and in-game decisions, it was like none of this stuff should have worked. And then it did. And, you know, maybe Dusty last year, the bullpen was just so good. You and I could have run that team in the playoffs, theoretically. And now that you need a legitimate manager, you know, look what Bochy's done to that Rangers team. You know, I don't, I don't know if they're that good if you have just the same roster and you have Jeff Bannister back there again this year, right? Like Bruce Bochy changed the culture in that clubhouse. So 
I'm I'm definitely long story short, I'm I'm mildly worried. There needs to be a bigger sense of urgency from Dusty Baker. Although, you know, he did have a Diaz catching Javier for just the second time tonight. So, you know, maybe that's something Diaz homered and, and caught a guy who got, you know, gave you five innings of four run ball, which for Javier has been good this year. So, um, I don't know. What about you, Scott? I was actually doing a deep dive on stats, you know, on the, on the Astros catcher situation, but I wanted to, uh, to, last night was a perfect example, I think, of where things go. So the Astros are trailing two to one going into the eighth inning. And, you know, uh, Framber gets two quick outs. And so you're thinking, okay, you know, Framber complete game. You know, maybe we'll come back. Maybe we won't. Gives up back-to-back dingers. So now it's four to one. Gives up, and then Neris comes in, gives up a third dinger in a row. That's five to one. And the second run that Freiburg gave up was a pass ball by Martin Maldonado, who, by the way, leads the league for the second year in a row in pass balls. That's number, that's stat number one. Uh, stat number two, and uh, let's see. Uh, do you follow the fielding Bible all that much? Somewhat. I, I think I follow them on social media, um, and so I see their stuff when it comes out. But like, I don't necessarily go to their site very often. So it, a lot of that stuff is housed at BillJamesOnline.com, which is a, you know a terrific site, um, and they have some different stats that I'm going to throw out here that. Um, are interesting. So he is uh, right now. Martin Maldonado is in the top five amongst catchers in baseball in innings caught. So imagine that he's, you know, was he 35, 36 years old? So I was looking it up. So, you know, and I'm not going to use any high fangled numbers here. We'll talk about OPS plus OPS plus is basically a hundred is average. And so anything above a hundred is above average. Anything below 100 is, is less than average. And it, it includes, you know, home ballparks, and it all, but obviously across eras. But I looked it up historically. So uh, coming into tonight's game, so Yanir Diaz has a 118 OPS plus coming into tonight, not including his dinger. So that's probably going up. So I looked up just on a lark see catchers that would be similar to him historically. Ted Simmons had a career 118 OPS plus. You heard of Ted Simmons, Tim? Actually, I haven't. I'm sure he's pretty damn good based on the way you're saying it, but uh, I actually have not heard of Ted Simmons. Okay. So Ted Simmons, he caught mostly for the Cardinals uh, throughout the 1970s. And he kind of took a backseat because, you know, back then you had Johnny Bench, you had Carlton Fisk, you had Thurman Munson. Um, you had a couple of other guys. You had like Jim Sundberg was good for a while. Bob Boone was a good defensive catcher, was a horrible hitter. Um, and then Lance Parrish, late 70s, early 80s. Ted Simmons actually recently was put into the Baseball Hall of Fame by the Veterans Committee. Uh, in both of my books, uh, I argued that Ted Simmons should be a Hall of Famer. Now, bunch of people could come out, sit there and say, you know, Ted Simmons, not a good defensive catcher, and they'd be correct. But I looked up, uh, and, and I don't know if you're familiar with similarity scores uh, from Bill James. You can find them on uh, Baseball Reference. 
Yeah. So the two most similar catchers to Martin Maldonado historically are Ron Karkavice. You heard that? You remember that name at all? Yeah, absolutely. Buck Martinez. Okay. So they had OPS pluses around seven, between 70 and 75. Okay. That's just where Martin Maldonado sets. Could you imagine any universe back in the 1970s when, uh, well, when Buck Martinez was catching, where a manager would go like, you know what, I'm going to start Buck Martinez over Ted Simmons. Could you imagine that that universe? I mean, Ted Simmons, if you want to imagine a catcher that you would be familiar with that I think would probably fit uh, Ted Simmons pretty well, think of like Brian McCann in his prime. Would you start Martin Maldonado over Brian McCann in his prime? Uh, probably not. No, I mean, uh, I, and there's here's the thing with Maldonado because I get your high end guys like throwing to him, and that's and that's fine. You can have if you're Justin Verlander, you can have a personal catcher. That's fine. You know, we let a guy like Shane Reynolds have a personal catcher. And Shane Reynolds is nowhere near the pitcher that, that Justin Verlander was. Shane Reynolds was good. Justin Verlander's a Hall of Famer. So I get that. And even maybe Fromber. Maybe. Like, I can be argued into that. But that's it. Outside of that, you play your best player. But you're right. Like, we are so obsessed with what – it's not even – it's defensive metrics that they think they're – Accurate? I don't know, Scott, because everyone talks about how the Astros were into all the analytics and all this other stuff. But, but, but you looked at the pass balls, the defensive run saves. He doesn't he doesn't frame pitches as well as he used to. I, I don't get it because he can do all his game planning stuff and then pass that binder over to DS. So, yeah, I, I don't understand. Other than. Other than JV, like if if that was the reason Verlander want to come back because he said I want to pitch to Maldonado again, that's fine to me. Once once maybe twice through the through the rotation I get, but other than that I I'm out. Like I'm out on you. Like I love you as a player for the things that you did for this city. I I love your personality. I love your knowledge, but you are not a guy who we need to be running out more than thirty percent of our games now that we're a six man rotation. Okay. So, stats that I looked up, there are 21 catchers who have caught 550 or more innings, right? So, he is fifth, Martin Maldonado, with 700 uh, coming in. That was actually, I think, prior to last night's game, 749 innings. He has negative 10 defensive runs saved, according to the Fielding Bible. There are two catchers who are worse. Yasmani Grandal sitting at minus 11. And Kber Ruiz of the Nationals sitting at minus 12. That's it. That's, that's I mean, the next worst catcher, uh, Salvador Perez, is sitting at minus 9. Uh, you do have a couple of catchers, uh, Elias Diaz, uh, Shea Langeliers, sitting at minus 8. But here's the kicker, right? So he has a a stat that I actually enjoy on Bill James online where he calls total runs. So basically what he does, he takes runs created, which is an old stat from Bill James way back in the day. You cannot have negative runs created. 
I want to throw that out there right now. The worst you can do is zero. You have base running runs, which is zero is average. And then you have defensive runs saved. And you combine all those and you get total runs. Now what he'll, uh, what Bill James will do is he'll throw in a position adjustment. Basically, that's an idea. So like if you wanted to compare Martin Maldonado with Kyle Tucker, you know, right fielders and catchers, you could do that. I don't, I don't do that part of the stat. But here, here is where Martin Maldonado is. We've been playing April, May, June, July, half of August. So close to five months. His total runs, seven. Seven fucking runs all year. Okay? Now, you want to know who's next to last? Now, this was one to get you. You want to guess who's next to last? No, just hit, hit me with it. Christian Vasquez. Mm. He is in a tie for he is in a tie with Yasmani Grandal for nineteenth uh, place on That's that tough. Uh, on the list. So everybody you know, wanted him back. Yeah, I did too. I thought uh, I thought that would have been a good signing, but it, you know it wasn't. So you know the the first place, just to give you an idea, Will Smith of the Dodgers has seventy four total runs. Um, and then second place is Adley Rutschman uh, of, the, of the Orioles. He's sitting there with 69. Our catcher, seven runs. Theoretically, he could get to zero because if he keeps going in the negative and defensive runs saved or base running runs, he could get to zero. I, I haven't seen anything like that before. I mean, looking at first baseman, um, out of, you know, the same, you know, basic top 20 in innings, Jose Abreu's last, but he's got 35 total runs. So it's not that Martin Maldonado is dead last. It's that you got to pipe light down to him. He's so far in the basement. I mean, it, it's just, it, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's hard to imagine I mean, if the only the only other work scenario that I can imagine where you could be this ineffective and still keep your job is the United States government, right? Like people keep electing uh, plenty of, of senators or, or Congress. Diane Feinstein continues to go to Congress and she is unbelievably uh, ineffective. So, um, you know, that's the only only world. Where you could be like, but you know, at least at least Maldi tries, right? Like he puts in the work. <laughs> Feinstein doesn't do shit. But I mean, at the end of the day, right? Like, imagine Scott, if if you were a teacher, and you know, you did your whole, you did your stuff, right? Like, but every year, your specific class failed the star test at an unbelievably high rate. Every other school, every other class of the school is doing great. But Scott Barzilla's classes are failing at an unprecedented rate. You'd be gone. You wouldn't be teaching that class anymore. If I worked for a company in sales and every other person is hitting their metric but me, I'm going to be gone. But now here we are where we have a guy who who's doing the job well. And quite frankly, when, when uh, Diaz is a catcher, his OPS plus is like 140. When he's just catching. That's Mike Piazza territory, man. Like, 
Those are huge numbers for a catcher. You've got Mike fucking Piazza sitting on your bench. And obviously, okay, Yiner is not Mike Piazza in real life, but like when you compare statistics, like statistically speaking, you've got a guy who one playing catcher hits at the rate of Mike Piazza. And and we're going to play the guy who hits at the rate of, what was the name that you said? Ron Karkovice. Yeah. Buck Martinez. Well, you know, and I remember Ron Karkovice well. And both those guys are receivers. Now, there is one other job. Ironically, it is also a government job that I think um, Janet has talked about people at NASA. Like, you know, people who, like you say, invented Velcro for NASA. They're still there? Some of them, yeah. And, and the whole thing is, like, they get to work there as long as they want. And they'll shift them around to groups. And, and, and that would be the case. Like, if you were to mention me in the star test, if the person, if the principal liked me, he would just sit there and say, you're not teaching a star class anymore. You know, you're going to teach this other class that doesn't take the star test. So yeah, you're a music you, teacher now. Yeah, you're not going to kill our scores anymore. And see, but the thing with Martin Maldonado is I love him. You hear stories about how he's got like two laptops on his lap on the on plane rides, sitting there studying hitters and, and, and doing all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, I have no doubt he's doing the very, very best he possibly can. And I never get angry at players because play, player, you know, no, nobody's jaking it out there. They're doing the best that they can, but. This is where the managers, where the general manager, this is where the owner, you know, you need to step up and say, listen, bud, we love you. You can't be our catcher anymore. You know, maybe you can be a roving instructor for us. Maybe you can be our bench coach whenever, you know, Dusty finally goes off to pasture. You know, maybe Joe Spada can be the manager. Maybe you can be his bench coach. Maybe you can be a bullpen catcher or a bullpen coach. You know, there's lots of roles that I could see. He could be a great minor league manager. Um, oh, yeah. You know, probably better than Crash Davis, you know, um, for those but, who you know, catch the reference. What's interesting to me is is growing up in the, in the era that I did, I thought the world of Brad Ausmus as a defensive catcher, right? But the, the moniker was Ausmus couldn't hit worth a shit. He was as, as good as they got behind the plate. But, you know, might as well just stand there and look at three pitches because he's just going to ground into a double play. Osmus never hit below 200. Osmus, with the Astros, his career average was 246. And we talked about how bad it was collectively known. Osmus sucks as a hitter, but we love him for his defense and, and, and what he brings to the pitching staff. But we talked, he sucks. Maldonado gets son. I I've stood by this guy until this year, but man, he gets a pass sometimes. And and Osmus was criticized much more for his poor offense, which what by today's standards, you'd take Brad Osmus at a heartbeat right now. Well, you know, I, I think he had a couple of years where he hit like two eighty. Not with Probably. Houston. No, not with Houston. But I'm saying uh, his, his time with the Astros, he was a 246 hitter hill, only yeah, in Houston. So what was he in 2004 and 2005? 2004, he hit 248 with a 306 on base. 2005, he hit 258 with a 351. And then what was uh, what was the slugging or isolated power? Because I think that's where you get. Let's just look at OPS. 
I mean, OPS plus, he was an 80 in 2005, 63 in 04, 55. I mean, his best ever OPS plus is 104 uh, in a year. He had 293 with the Padres, and he had five homers. I mean, Ospis never hit more than nine home runs in a season, and he did that in an all-star year in Detroit where he hit 275, nine homers, and he had 100 OPS. So your problem there is that the offensive numbers as a whole in the game were higher, uh, you know, particularly in the late 90s, early aughts. And so when you're looking at Osmus comparatively, he, he's not good. I mean, if you transport those numbers right now, yeah, yeah, I would, yeah, I would take that right now. But um, the problem was he had less pop. See, you know, Mark Maldonado's been hitting 10-plus home runs, like, regularly as an Astro. Um, the problem is, is that it's coming with a 180 batting average. So, and, and, and last year I would have been fine, you know, with Maldonado, but, you know, leading the league in pass balls, they, uh, his, the pitcher's ERA with him catching is 399. Uh, pitcher's ERA with Diaz catching is about 330. So, I mean, this is, I mean, it, it's, it's just flat out what it is. I mean, if it were, if those numbers were flipped, I would sit there and say, okay, I can look at the fact that, you know, 0.7 runs a game is, is, you know, that's a significant figure. But the problem is, is that those numbers are on Diaz's favor. And so, you know, there's, there's not much. And Diaz, as a, uh, according to the Fielding Bible, is a positive impact defensive catcher. So, what are we doing? So then let me ask you this then, Scott, because, the, uh, you know, I don't know if you follow Chandler Rome uh, on 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 uh, social media or on Twitter, but you can tell, like, this is a job for Chandler. He's not an Astros fan covering the team, right? He is a legitimate beat reporter. He asks the questions, and he's flat out asked Dusty, why is, why is he catching so many games? And Dusty said, guys want to throw to him. Guys want to throw to Maldonado. So what what does it take as a pitcher for these guys to feel more comfortable with Yiner Diaz? Because that's what I don't understand. You've laid out all these metrics that show Yiner can call a good game. Yiner is is good behind the plate. Yiner will limit the base running behind you. So at what point Javier or France or, you know, I think Hunter Brown's been throwing to him for a while, but Urquidy. At what point is it? Are you going to feel comfortable? Because it's Diaz speaks Spanish too. It's it's not like there's a language issue, and that's why they like throwing to Maldonado because Yiner Diaz speaks Spanish. So what is it? What do you need to see from this guy as a starting pitcher to say like, okay, that's my guy? Because not only does he call a good game, he's going to give me a hundred plus point higher batting average. And he's if I'm Christian Javier when I pitch kind of like shit tonight. He's going to hit a two-run homer to get me back in the game when I'm down four to nothing or three to nothing, whatever it was at that point. Why don't you want that stick behind you? Well, I think with a lot of athletes, and and this is, and and I'd love to get, you know, I'd love to get a current Astro in here, you know, but they're not going to, they're not going to comment on that level, but they're, they're kind of guilty of what I call magical thinking. And part of that magical thinking is, and, and I think most athletes, if they would use me more, we would win more. And I think they like 
you know, they like Maldonado. They have a, they have a, you know, a, a connection with him. So they think I'm better. But if you look at Fromber's record, Fromber's not pitching nearly as well this year as he was last year overall. Um, and, and certainly his one loss record is around 500, which, it, you know, that shouldn't be even with the, the worst scores. What I would do kind of to your point uh, where you were talking about JV and, and Fromber getting Maldonado. Okay. I'm good with that. Diaz against everybody else. I'm sorry, Christian Javier, you don't get to pick your own catcher. JP France, you definitely don't get to pitch your and pick your own catcher. I love what JP France is doing, but no. And I and I would think JP France would feel more comfortable with Diaz, yeah, right? Because they were in AAA together, Hunter Brown in AAA with these guys. I think that's who Dusty has been using them with. But it's it's got to be Javier. Uh, you got you got Javier, Javier and Urquidy. Yeah, and so to me, if you got a six-man rotation and four of them are DS, I'm fine with that. But you I, can't at that point. You can't start Fromber and JV back to back either, because I don't want Maldonado hitting two nights in a row. I, I'd like to spread that out. Well, I mean, yeah, you don't want necessarily Diaz catching four nights in a row, you know, because that's that's gonna, you know, yeah. If you could split it somehow, you know, if you could, yeah, sandwich that in there, and I'm sure you could do that. Um. And then next year, you'd sit there and say, okay, we're not signing you again. We'll sign you to be a coach. And that's where that's where I'm at. So the we've been kicking Maldonado for a while. So let's talk about the positive story that's hit Houston Astros in the last week. We mentioned him last week, but, you know, he had himself a day. John Singleton hitting his first home runs as an Astro since 2015. So he, he's got an opportunity here. He's got another maybe five or six games before Abreu comes off the, uh, the disabled list. So what do you, what do you think? What, what, what expectations do you have for, for Singleton? I mean, this is a guy. He's, he's the definition of a three true outcome player to me, because if he makes contact, it's either, it feels like it's either a home run or an out because of the way that he swings, but he's got a fantastic eye at the plate. I, I think he works some fantastic at bats and he strikes out a lot, but I don't know. I sat somehow. I still would rather him up there than a Brayu Cause I feel like he's got a better chance of running into one. And even though know, tonight he was over four, but um, he damn near homered on the, on the pitch before. Um, uh, damn it. Um, Left fielder Chaz before Chaz tied the game up, so he's he's hitting good. I think he's taking good swings. His timing's just a little bit off, but it's a feel good story for sure. Maybe I like the versatility a little bit, and you can platoon him and him and Abreu. But I mean, when Abreu comes back, I'd, I'd take Singleton over Kessinger on the roster all day every day. Um, I don't know. You know, this is a guy who had addiction issues, right? It was, you know, people made jokes on the internet all about, oh, he chose smoking weed, yada, yada, yada. But the man suffered from a disease called addiction. Um, it was able to find his way back. And, and at the end of the day, regardless of how it turns out, right, we, we tip our caps. You had a historic night. You will always remember that night as a ball player. And 
at least for that one day, you were a, you were a hero and you made it back and you could always remember that. Now, I, he hasn't done a ton since then, but I mean, he's had some good looking at bats, Scott. Like I, I feel like he looked comfortable in the box. I feel like he's poised to pop, but it just hasn't gone that way. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just so over Abreu, but Singleton looks better in the box than Abreu does right now. And I, I just, you know, he just hasn't gotten some of these these balls quite out of the park, or he's hit some balls hard right at people. He had a, a ground out to second today that he absolutely smoked, and the guy made a diving play on him. So I don't know. But long story short, I'm excited for him. Um, and at the end of the day, having having more options at first base is not a bad thing. The best tweet I saw. Are, are we still calling them tweets? I think so. Because what X's? is it? X's? Yes. Uh, um, the best tweet I saw that night was, you know, this guy says, I told you that Hunter Pence trade was going to pan out. <laughs> I mean, it was just hilarious, you know, because it's like 10 years or 11 years. I, I saved the receipt. Here it is. <laughs> Here it is. You know, if if y'all, if, if, for those of y'all who are listening, if, y'all, if you're anything like me where you don't necessarily get to watch the Astros, you ought to do yourself a favor and watch those Singleton bombs because they were absolute bombs i mean they're upper deck shots at minute maid park i mean he he it was right down the line both of them but i mean he just i mean he just absolutely tattooed him he had um, one today man he he had like i said it, was, it ended up a uh like a 10 pitch at bat with a hard ground out but earlier in the bat he was fouled by about five or six feet on a on a upper deck tank shot to right field in the marlin stadium that like when it left this guy's guy's just like different strength wise, you know, like I, I know it's the average in there right now, but he's got game changing power potential that if he could harness it, I don't know. But I, I will say, I will say this because we have spent a lot of time ragging on Dusty and a lot of his managerial decisions. It's taken three quarters of the season but he's finally hitting Tucker and Alvarez three and four. Yeah. And fi- finally, finally, because that's what you got to pitch to one of the two. And you know what? Tucker is flourishing, having big daddy Yordan hitting right behind him. Cause you know what? Mickey, Mickey Mantle protected Roger Maris on his greatest season of all time. Maris was a fine hitter beforehand. But when you got Mickey fucking Mantle waiting on deck behind you. Yeah. You're going to drop some bombs. So, Thank you, Dusty, although it took four months. But 3-4 should be set for the next however long with your Don and Kyle Tucker. Stop putting Bregman in your three-hole. Stop. He's not a fucking third hitter anymore. On a, on a, on a different team, Bregman would probably bat seventh if, if, if he didn't have the 2018 and 2019 that he did. If he was just a guy that you sign and he's hitting 250 with a little bit of pop, he's got like a 758 OPS, he's hitting sixth or seventh. But because he had a great couple years, he's hitting second, third, fourth. Well, I think I think Bregman, I like him as a number two hitter, uh, personally, because of the on-base. I, I um, take him second over third or fourth. Yeah, no, and, and, you know, he's got 18 homers. So, I mean, it's not like he's, you know, chopped liver. Um, the problem that Singleton's going to have is that we just had we just talked about it off air. Michael Brantley had his first day back. You know, he hit a home run. 
uh, against the Round Rock Express. If you have him and Alvarez toggling between DH and left field, once Abreu comes back, in in my back. perfect world, in my perfect world, that's less Jake Myers time. Chaz oh, yeah. is your everyday center fielder. Brantley doesn't ever play left. I don't think Brantley's ever going to play left field. I think his arm and shoulder won't allow it. I think if Brantley comes back, he's a DH. And then Jordan's your everyday left fielder, which is something he likes playing left field. The only problem is then you, you Singleton doesn't have that opportunity to toggle between first and DH because DH won't be available to him. However, Correct. But if you've you, got Michael Brantley, who's every bit the professional hitter that this lineup is craving right now, like... You need somebody who just puts the ball in play and can, you know, not ground into double plays. Like, Bregman is killing us with the double plays. Well, absolutely but, killing us. But here's what I like about Singleton, and, and you mentioned uh, Kessinger, definitely uh, Hensley. To me, I would send Hensley, Hensley down. I think uh, Kessinger is, a, you know, at least an option at shortstop if you, you needed it. But Singleton, think about it. If you're going to send up a pinch hitter, what are the two things you want out of pinch hitters? Contact and pop. I would say the ability to get on base and pop. Okay. Yeah, I'll give you and, that. And Singleton, you know, he, he did it the night that that Tucker hit the uh, hit the grand slam. He he took the walk, got the. He's got a great started. eye. He has a great eye. Because at the, you know at a point where if I'm talking about one plate appearance, whether or not you hit. A buck eighty or buck ninety doesn't really matter to me in one plate appearance. What matters to me is what's your on base percentage. Because if you're walking like twenty percent of the time, I mean that that one eighty turns into about a three fifty. And then what's your hard hit ball percentage? Yeah, what's your ball? Yeah, what's your batting average on balls in play? Like things like that. Well, but the what's the likelihood that you, you can connect with one? And yeah. To me, I feel like Singleton is much more likely to connect with one. Than anybody on that bench, right now. I'm with you. I'm. I mean, uh, unless it's yeah. Diaz, unless Diaz is on your bench. But in this perfect world, so, Diaz is catching, right? So right. I'm with you. If if you have two guys to send down with Brantley coming back and Abreu coming back, okay. Well, Abreu is a first baseman. Kessinger should go down. Period. Kessinger's gone. Then. Hensley's garbage. I'm sorry. Like Hensley is not a major league baseball player. I'm, I don't mean to disparage the family name, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, enjoy your career with the Savannah Bananas or you know the um, Somerset Patriots or you know whichever independent team that your services will be required from. But you're not a major league baseball player, so at is least John not Singleton one yet. We don't know. We don't at know least- yet. Yeah, at least Kessinger's not one this year. I don't know. I'm not going to say Kessinger isn't one for sure, but I think I have enough of an eye to know David Hensley is not a Major League Baseball player. David Hensley is an Atlantic League American Association top-tier player. He would rake in that league. He had some good moments last year where I thought, you know, maybe he had like – he he had Um, a clutch playoff walk and 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 a playoff hit in the World Series. And, like, everybody went crazy for this guy because he went one for three with a walk at a World Series game that he got his number called on. We're like, oh, all right. Like, I was one of them. I was the one I, sitting there saying he should get the roster spot over to Bond before the season started. I, I, you know, I would keep him around 
just because, you know, if you get into one of those moments where you're like, you're just absolutely desperate, I mean, you need, you know, but I would keep them in AAA as long as you possibly can. You know, the beauty is, is that assuming Altuve doesn't miss any time, um, then, you know, you have your starting lineup. Dubon should not be starting anywhere unless he's given somebody a day off. Personal center fielders are not a thing. No, that's got to be been, done. That you never been. That's never been a thing. I mean, to me, you you got you know. To me, with Diaz and yeah. Dubon, Dubon cost Verlander a run the other night. Dubon played a ball terribly in center field. That Myers, if you want the best defensive center fielder out there, Verlander, okay, take Jake Myers. Jake Myers, I will, we can both agree he's slightly better than Chaz in center field. And with Chaz in left, you've got a great defensive outfield for a fly ball pitcher if that's what you want. But instead, you've got fucking Mauricio Dubon playing center field who is not a center fielder, who misplays a ball, which leads to a triple, which leads to a run that wouldn't have scored if you had a ridic- like a legitimate center fielder out there. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on that one. But to me, you know, once Brantley comes back, Myers is buried on my bench. Dubon is there to, uh, to spot. I'd, I'd play Myers a lot like Marisnik, where like late in a game they would bring in yeah. they would bring in Jake for defensive purposes in center field. You'd slide, you know, you you'd pull out Reddick, you'd slide Springer to right, and you bring Jake in in center. If you did that with Myers and you, you pulled Chaz out in the ninth inning for defensive purposes. Or like, Alvarez if he's or Alvarez if he's in there. Yeah, like I'm I'm fine with that, but after that, like, yeah, I'm with you. He's playing Sundays when Chaz gets a day off. Because, you know, Chaz, is, his OPS is, uh, I think, above 880. Diaz's you know, his OPS is well over 800. Chaz homered but again tonight. Tucker homered tonight. And Diaz homered tonight. And, the, and, that, and, you know, you look at this team, I think there are five guys with OPSs over 800. Five. And, you know, that's Altuve, Jordan, Tucker, Chaz, Diaz. Those are your five guys. Those five guys need to be in the lineup together 80% of the time, nothing less. I would say 90%. Because, you know, we're in August. You mentioned the Rangers. The Rangers don't seem to be losing much these days. Um, You know, if, you know, the Marlins are fighting for a playoff berth. So the fact, you know, right as you're listening to this, if you're listening to this on a Wednesday morning, we split with them so far. You know, we win, you know, Wednesday's game. You've won two out of three in the last three series, and you've gained no ground on the Rangers. None. You've lost You've lost ground on the Rangers because the Rangers won Monday night. So I'm with you, Scott. You've got to make some changes. Um, it's time. There's got to be a sense of urgency there. It's not even make changes. Just just put your best lineup out every day. Stop letting guys go out to an eighth inning when you've got good bullpen pieces. You know, there, there's some – this has to be Dusty's last year. I, I can't imagine a world and where Dusty Baker comes back again next year. But um, speaking of making changes, the Texans made changes over the offseason. We got our first look at C.J. Stroud and – I don't know. It definitely wasn't a long look. You know, only, only threw the ball four times. Underwhelming, maybe. Um, I don't want to go as far as disappointing because, again, he was not in there very long. Uh, D'Amico had some positive things to say about 
a lot of the things he did out there. But, you know, we didn't we didn't see the debut I think a lot of Houston fans were hoping for. From the quarterback at least. I think the defense is a whole other conversation that the debut from them was 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 nice. Well, I think you know the one thing we have to keep in mind is that you know they Laramie Tunsil was not playing. He did not. Uh, he did not even suit up. Both tackles. Uh, yeah, Titus Howard has got a broken hand. May come back week one. We hope. You know, they said four to six weeks, and and his surgery was right at that like four and a half week part. So you know, we can. If he's not back week one, I think he'll be back week two. And you did not have Shaq Mason play at either. So three of your five starting linemen not starting that game. I had shades of, of David Carr. I was having flashbacks. Like I tell like I felt like I was taking some bad shit back in 2002 and you know starting to get embedded in the spinal column and you know starting to come back watching you know CJ Stroud run around for his life. Definitely not the performance I, I was looking for. You mentioned the defense. I think overall the defense was the story of the game, I think. Um, except for one player who I think we're going to get to here in a minute. But, you know, to me, whether it was first string, second string, third string, they were all swarming to the ball. As soon as, you know, they got to the, uh, the ball carrier or the receiver, that receiver, that ball carrier was going down. There were no very few broken tackles. Uh, Will Anderson looked great in the few plays that he was in there. Uh, however, he was not, as I call it on the hair of the dog, uh, uh, feature on Battle Red Blog. He was not the Schlitz Light player of the game. The Schlitz Light player of the game was your boy, U of H Cougar, Tank Dell. Yeah, you want to talk about making <laughs> the most out of your debut. Um, that catch, that catch was something else. Uh, he had some, showed the speed off, showed off why I personally have been so high on this guy as you know, to, to take from our baseball segment, a, a true home run hitter. Because realistically, since Will Fuller left, I don't think the Texans have really had that that true home run threat. You know, Will Fuller was the kind of guy who could take a screen and take it 80 yards. And then before Will Fuller, did we ever really have it? Maybe you could say Andre Johnson was that guy. But I don't know. In, in like in our whole franchise history, the Texans have had one home run hitter. Um it's exciting to have that on offense. Just the same way, you know, we were talking about Singleton who can turn the game upside down at one moment. A guy like Tank Dell, you can hit him with a five-yard slant, makes one guy miss, and next thing you know, it's gone. So that kind of stuff is exciting to me. And I did want to circle back to the point you made about the defense flowing throughout first, second, third string. Because I think in these preseason games, you know, we had Cody on last week, and he was one of those his, – his scumbag of the week was – training camp doesn't matter guy or preseason doesn't matter guy. And these are the things that I like to watch in preseason, the individual performances, um, you know, especially like on offense, a lot of times when you're going up against guys who aren't going to make a roster. Okay, fine, whatever. But the mentality of the defense as a whole, I think is what you pay attention to because that's contagious. The swarming to the ball, the gang tackling, you know, making clean tackles, no no easy yardage. I think last year when you watched the Texans preseason, they had no edge. Like, you could tell this is going to be a defense that will, you could run the ball down their throat whenever the fuck you wanted because 
they had no desire to stop the run of the preseason, whether it was the first string, the second string, the third string. They were soft as shit. That's not the case this year. Uh, I'm excited for it. I'm excited for that smash mouth bulls on parade defense that we haven't seen since Brian Cushing was headbunting people with a helmet on when he was all roided up and ready to go. He was overtrained. He was overtrained. He tested positive twice. He was overtrained. Uh, okay. I had a funny story real quick about Cushing. I have a, a, a cursed Brian Cushing jersey. I wore it exactly two times during Brian Cushing's NFL career. First time I wore it, he tore one ACL. I said, that, that's crazy. That's crazy. What a random coincidence. Then I'm at a Buffalo Wild Wings wearing it again at a New York, watching the New York Jets play the Texans, and he fucking tore the other one. I, I'm done. I will never wear this jersey again as long as Brian Cushing is an active player. All right. So you mentioned Tank Dell. You made the comparison to me. Um, I think you're selling them short. Or either that or you're overstating Will Fuller. Because to me, Will Fuller is a guy that runs a fly pattern. He's a guy that could catch a deep ball. I the year that Will Fuller got popped for steroids, he was electric. I don't know that he ever would catch a five-yard you know, bubble screen and take it to the house. I don't oh, think that was that was the O'Brien offense at first with him. They When they had, like, um, what's the guy who could only throw it hard? Um, oh, Ryan Mallett? No, 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 no. Uh, we, Osweiler. Like Osweiler oh. hit him. Like hit, they used him a lot in script. But I think you're right. Maybe I am giving Will Fuller a little too much credit. But yeah, uh, I'm I, I am t- so high on Tank Dell right now. He, you know, he is like a billionaire's version of Jacoby Jones to me. Um, because you know you have Every, everything we were promised that Jacoby Jones was supposed to be. Uh, who was the little short return man uh, oh. that we had that went to Denver? And then actually was good. Like we've had so many guys that was least, that France. Was that oh no Francis? It was um, like Mathis. Hill. Mathis was a Jerome. No, Mathis. that's a that's a different one. We had like this really short guy who like had like two kickoff returns for touchdowns oh. in the preseason, and we and we couldn't find we couldn't find room for him on the roster, so we cut him. And then he signs with Denver, and then he takes like the opening kickoff back for a touchdown of the season with Denver. And all the Texas fans are like, what the fuck? This is bullshit. Yeah, yeah, I think I know who you're talking I can't think of him right now. But but to me, Tank Dell is – because to me, take and, – and you you saw there were two plays, I think, that to me highlighted Tank Dell. And they were two plays really that weren't made. So, number one, he only really played with Davis Mills. So, right. there's, one, so there's, one, there's one route that he runs – and the cornerback is even with him. And then all of a sudden, a split second, he's got like four yards on the corner. And Davis Mills throws him the ball. Of course, in typical Davis Mills fashion, he overthrows him by three yards. Incomplete pass. But you can imagine, like, hey, C.J. Stroud's in the game. You know, if they give him time to throw, you make a connection on that. And then the other one, another Davis Mills pass. Tank Dill caught it. But he had to go to the turf to catch it because Davis Mills' accuracy is horrible. And you could see Tank Dell sitting there going, gesturing, you know, get the ball up. Because he's like, you know, if he, if he gets that ball up, he probably gains another 10 or 15 yards on that play easy. And um, I think that's what, what Cody was talking about last week too, right? When we've had these last few offensive coordinators between Tim Kelly and Bill O'Brien and Pep Hamilton, 
the Texans were a stationary offense. It was a, uh, you know, hit the sidelines a lot, or we had receivers who uh, would, would make the catch going to the ground. Everything was going to the ground. And now we've got a guy who loves to operate in space. It, you know, even he only caught, what, I think three or four balls. Uh, but one of the ones he caught five balls. One of the ones he caught was, what, a quick five-yard slant that all of a sudden becomes like 16 or 17 yards just because when the ball is in his hand, he is slippery as hell, and he finds his, like, he is a vertical runner. And that's one of the things you have to love, too, is he's not someone who dances around and goes laterally. He's trying to get upfield as fast as he can, and he's going to, I think he's going to be up there um, in that rookie of the year conversation, Scott. I really do, because I think he's going to shock some people on special teams. Um, I think he might even, maybe not this year, but within the next three years, he's going to make the Pro Bowl as a returner. I, well, he, I would put money on that. Yeah, he had one punt return that was like an easy 15 yards. You know, he, and, and, and the Texans, have they ever really had a good punt returner? Because you could, you could talk about um, Jacoby Jones had moments, but like I can't remember the last time we were consistently good on punt return. Maybe Daniel Manning. Maybe. But I just don't feel like that's ever been a strength. Special teams has never truly been a strength of the Texans outside of our uh, kicking games. Our kicking games have always well, been good, but we have never been a good return team. We've never yeah, had that home run hitter. Return, yes. I think last couple of years, because uh, they kept the special teams coordinator, they've had a really good coverage team. They've been top ten. But that goes uh, into the punter, too. We, we had Leckler well, for years who would just boom it so high that you and I could have got down there and, and, and made them call a fair catch, right? Yeah, but, that's true. Um but what I was going to say is, is that you, you mentioned the preseason and the uh, training camp doesn't matter guy and the preseason doesn't matter guy. And, and you're talking about the defenses, uh, uh, the defense, how deep it is. I think that's where if you watch this game, you could see where we're not deep. The offensive line is one spot where, you know, we if we have if Laramie Tunsil goes down. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's going to be rough. Uh, Fant, I think, will be probably pretty good at right tackle, but not, you know, he tried to play left tackle that night, and it, it just wasn't working. But the one position I think that we have that we could fix right now, I don't know if you saw that they cut Xavier Valaday. Um, so they cut him, uh, release him. And if you looked at that game, like Dario Ogamawe, you know, fumbles, you know, his first carry. And I think, you know, Mike Boone might be a decent third back, but they could go out. There's still a couple of, now they, uh, we have, you know, Delvin Cook and Zeke Elliott have signed contracts. They signed those earlier this week. Um, uh, Zeke Elliott's going to the Patriots. Delvin Cook's going to the Jets. But you still have Kareem Hunt still available. Uh, and you have. He's, still, on the, he's on the Saints, isn't he? No, he he is he is a free agent. Um, he, I don't know if I want he, any part of that guy on my team, though. He visited, so but you know one of the things you always see right around you know September is there is a lot of ro- roster shuffling. You know, you're you, they don't cut after preseason games. You know who's They're, available. You know who's available. Rex Burkhead. Well, he knows the playbook. Welcome back to town, bud. I'm kidding. Oh, I'm I'm kidding. I want no fucking part of Rex Burke. Oh man, I that was my best joke, and, and I had them going. 
um, during the, uh, the hair of the dog. There was a play where uh, Henry Toa makes a tackle in the open field. And they're wondering, you know, the guys are wondering, what the heck happened to that running back? He was like out in the open field and he, and he, uh, and say, say, he's got the moves like Burkett. He's got the moves like Burkett. He's got the moves like Burkett. And they're just like, oh God, now I'm picturing, you know, uh, Burkett's, you know, head on, you know, Adam Levine's body. And they're just like, yeah, I'm just like, oh God. Um, but yeah, I, in September, I guarantee you, early September, what's going to happen is we're going to cut, 40 guys, the league, you know, you're going to see guys who are going to get cut. They may be adding a third running back, you know, but, you know, when teams finally make their final cutdowns because the, the depth on Did, offense. Didn't we have an unsigned free, uh, a drafted free agent that was supposed to be uh pretty, pretty big deal? Rhodes or? That or, was Voliday. Voliday was supposed oh, to be. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, he was from Arizona State. He gained about 1,500 yards, I want to say, you know, at Arizona State. And they played him, you know, in the second half. And, you know, he had a few carries, didn't do much. And all of a sudden, they cut him. It was like, you know, it was almost like, uh, remember Eno Benjamin on last year's team? I don't know if you remember that yeah. name. Uh, where they didn't give him any opportunities, and then they decided to cut him. And it's like, throw the guy out there. You suck. You know Rex Burkhead sucks. You know that, you know, Daria Bugawale sucks. You know that, I don't even know if David Johnson was still on the team at that point, but you know he sucks. So, you know, give these guys, you know, a chance. So, unfortunately, what that means is Mike Boone is your third running back, and I don't know if anybody is really extremely comfortable with that. So, you know, I would be on the look to see if the Texans sign a guy. And and, and it would be interesting to see, you know, you mentioned – you mentioned that, you know, Rex Burke is available and that that's not going to happen. Um, but I think also the offensive line, I think, is a really big uh, is a big issue. And, they, you know, they've been signing some line uh, linemen. Jackie Chan, uh, he's going to be uh, going to be a Texan now. So, you know, maybe you can use some of that, you know, kung fu and karate. Um, but definitely on offense, I think was where this team, you know, I think we, we thought that going in into the season that there was going to be more holes on offense than there are on defense. And I think the, the first preseason game has shown us definitely that to be the case. Um, really, if you looked at the game, the Patriots, uh, Cunningham quarterback out of Louisville was gashing the third stringers late in the game. I think he had five carries, 32 yards. If you take away his carries, you take away the yardage. I think the Patriots gained like 50 yards on 20 carries. I mean, just comparing that to, you know, what the Texans run defenses have been in the past. I mean, there's no comparison. And, you know, and that was pretty, you know, they were doing that with the second unit just as effectively as, as the first unit. The third unit, I think, had everybody but Cunningham covered well. And, and really, you know, when you have those athletic quarterbacks like that, you know, sometimes it's it's difficult, you know, to really get um, to get a handle on those guys. And um, so, you know, the Texans have made a few roster adjustments here. They've uh, they've signed a couple of offensive linemen. Uh, they let Voliday go. They let uh, one other, I want to say Fontenot is the name, but I can't remember off the top of my head. But um, – they let those guys go. So, you know, they're trying to beef up the offensive line. And, you know, Shaq Mason is obviously perfectly healthy, but probably doesn't need to play in the preseason. 
Uh, Tunsil's perfectly healthy, doesn't need to play in the preseason. Uh, the one thing that I think is probably going to have to keep our eye on, I think, in preseason games two and three is going to be left guard. Because I think Juice Scruggs has taken over center. Um, you know, you've got right guard, you've got right tackle as soon as, as Howard comes back. You've got left tackle. But Kenyon Green still has not looked good, did not look good in the game, really has not looked good in um, – in, in the practices from what I've been reading, I, I've been reading a lot of, uh, of Cody's work, uh, as a subscriber there on Substack. Um, you know, he's having to take some plays off and it might be Michael Dieter might be the guy at, at left guard. And we're at the point now where, you know, you've given up your first round pick to the Cardinals. So this team's got to win some football games. So, you know, last year we could have done some developmental stuff. Maybe that would have been cool, but can't do the developmental stuff anymore. I mean, we're going to have to put out the, you know, the best guys. And so there's going to be, you know, a competition at left guard and it's going to be, you know, that might be the one starting spot that hasn't, you know, been decided. I think everything else pretty much has been decided, you know, even on defense, there's guys that uh, didn't play. Jerry Hughes didn't play in, in that game. Um, I didn't see, uh, I think Christian Harris play, but I don't think Christian Kirksey played. Um, so there's there's still a lot, you know, a lot you know, that I think has is, is been decided, has been wrapped up in terms of starters on this team. But left guard, to me, is definitely going to be the spot, you know, that we're going to have to end up worrying about and, and seeing, you know, what ends up happening. And so when you're watching that second game, you know, you can definitely, you know, clue in on that left guard spot, you know, to see, you know, what Kenyon Green looks like. And that, you know, because more and more that's looking like it's going to be a blown, you know, first round pick. And that's just really too bad, you know, that to say at this point. But, you know, it's just a, a hard thing, you know, to. If you look at, you know, if definitely if you look at offensive line play. People that played as poorly as Green did usually don't come back and become solid players. But, you know, we can hope we can hope for better. And, and that's what we're going to have to do at this point. Great to see a little bit from Jarrett Patterson, too. Uh, the center we took out of Notre Dame. Um, you know, if Scruggs, I think a lot of people thought Scruggs would actually move to guard and Patterson would get a lot more playing time at center. But with, with Scruggs, Kind of, you said, kind of with with Quesenberry going down and and Scruggs playing well so far, he secured himself pretty firmly in that spot. So maybe we see Patterson uh, a little bit at left guard or something along that lines. We'll see. Um, but I, I like the idea of having a center who could play either guard spot as your backup too, right? Because then you can cover um, a few different options versus you know versatility wise um, with your backup offensive lineman. So I, I'm intrigued to see. Um, what we get out of him as well here in preseason game numero dos, Scott. Yeah, Kenyon Green worries me. Um, one of the things I think I've heard mentioned uh, by experts is that, you know, for a guy to play as badly as he did in the first year, you usually don't see guys come back and become solid football players after a, a rookie season that bad, uh, particularly from interior linemen. Uh, and he kind of reminds me um, – 
in terms of expectations and, and what happened, you remember also Suofilo, uh, who was the you know second you know, first pick in the second yeah. round when it could have been a quarterback and it wasn't, and you know it could have been Derek Carr, could, you know you could have gone up to get Teddy Bridgewater, and no, you got Suofilo, and he well he sucked, and you know I I don't I'm I'm worried about Kenyon Green because I think you know. What I'm hearing is is that he's not in good enough shape to play consistently enough, even in in training camp. He's having to take plays off. And yeah, this year, that's a problem. We traded our first round pick to the Cardinals. We cannot just throw guys out there to see what happens. We got to try to win football games, and so you got to get your best five out there. Um, if Jared Patterson could play center, Scruggs at guard, I you know, I could go with that. Um, but we need to put the best five guys out there, you know, because to me, I think what you've seen in this offense and you've seen in the first game is that if you give the quarterback time to throw, I think there's enough motion in this offense that they're going to scheme guys open. And that's not even counting guys, you know, how good Tank Dell is or how good John Mechie could be. But, you know, one of the things I'm curious, you mentioned the motion, are we going to see a player kind of playing that Debo Samuels role in Houston? Or, you know, was that just a situation you think where you've got this guy with an unbelievable body type who's so good with the ball in his hands, we've got to find a way to get it to him 20 times a game? Tank Dell's the only guy I can think of that could do that. And I don't know that he's too to, small. Yeah, I don't yeah, I don't think you want to put him in that situation. But I don't think anybody else in that receiving core has that kind of athleticism. Um, I think, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that Hutchinson can stick, you know, because he had a good college career. I'm hoping Mechie, Mechie did have one catch, you know, I'm glad to see he got out there. Um, but I, you know, I'm with you on Tank Dell in space. I want him to get the football in space because he had like a 20, 25 yard catch on that, uh, on that first touchdown drive. And, you know, and it was not an exotic look. I mean, there are no exotic looks in in the preseason. He just caught it in space and there was nobody near him and poof, you know, he's gone for, you know, a good fourth of the field. Yeah. Uh, He's, he's special. He's absolutely special. Um, But speaking of special, we have a special segment that we do every week, Scott. And I think, you know, it's, it's taking the nation by storm, right? We're, We're we're trending on Twitter. People are talking about us. Scumbag. You know, you search search scumbag. It comes right up. But uh, no, seriously, you know, it it is that time of the show. I I think you and I uh, are probably going to be vastly different uh, on the scumbags this week. Because I'm going to take a little bit of a lighter, a little lighter side of things. Okay, so you want me to lead off or you? uh... Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to end this on a light note with my scumbag. Okay, so mine's on a somewhat lighter note as well. And I'm going to go with the commissioner of baseball, Mr. Manfred. And here's why. Um, did you see the big fight between Tim Anderson and Jose Ramirez? I did. Tim Anderson got his ass knocked out. That was, you know, and the best. And, and so Manfred gives Anderson twice uh, twice the suspension that he gives to uh, Jose Ramirez. Good. He started it. Well, no, but see, he had an opportunity. 
And he, because every, there is not a single person I've heard who said that that fight was bad for baseball. He had an opportunity. He could have come out and said, you know what, Tim Anderson, you know why you're getting twice the games? Because you lost that fight. If you win the fight, you get half the suspension. <laughs> and to me, if he would have come out and said that, yeah, it would have been, you know, a crappy thing to do, but it would have been, you, you would have been a troll job over all professional sports and you would have earned every accolade I could have thrown at you. I don't mind that rule change. Loser of the fight gets double the suspension that the winner does. Like, if you're going to throw down, at least give me a good fight because Tim Anderson starts all that shit. And then even my mom texted me, was like, it didn't even look like he got hit that hard. And if that's what my mom thinks, like the rest of us are just laughing at you. So I got to tell the story. I'm uh, because this is reminds me of Tim Anderson. It reminds me of both ba- baseball fights, right? So um, a little over 10 years ago, I was actually driving a bus route. And so I was going to a middle school. This is like fourth, fifth, fifth, sixth grade, right? So I see this kid. This kid, he's looking everywhere. A kid is looking away from him. And he pushes him. And the kid that gets pushed goes to the ground. The kid starts backing up, and I gotta get Tim up here to look and see this. He's 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 backing up. He's looking around. He's like, okay, where's the adult that's gonna come in here and stop this fight? Where's the adult? Where's it coming? He's backing up, and he can't get backed up anywhere else, and he gets decked. It's like, sirs, you right, you little son of a bitch. This says, you know, that's going to teach you to push a guy that's, that's bigger than you and you know could kick your ass because, you know, he, he was absolutely waiting for an adult to come bail him out. And it's not happening. I mean, you see those guys. They run in from the bullpen. They're not doing anything. They're No. Just, I mean, yeah. And you see, like, you know. Uh, you know, an 80-year-old coach sitting there holding back a 30-year-old strapping guy. And it's like, yeah, as if an 80-year-old coach can hold you back. I think they should go hockey rules, right? Like, third guy in, your suspension is worse than everybody else. We're just going to, like, clear the field and let you guys just duke it the fuck out right at second base. I think that needs to be the change. Like, everybody just backs it up. We don't need to clear the bullpens. We don't need the... The long jog out from the relievers. Nah, just two guys squaring up midfield. Have at it. Could you imagine if they had sit there and, and, and even with Nolan Ryan and Robin Ventura, if, you know, instead of, you know, even giving Nolan half the suspension, if they just sat there and said, here's a thousand dollars, you've won the prize fight, you know, here you go. <laughs> Robin Ventura, here's $75. You know, or Robin Ventura, you got to pay Nolan Ryan because he absolutely owned your ass. You know, I mean, that was and so to me, Manfred, you had an opportunity to make baseball fun. And, you know, you just you dodged that opportunity. I know uh, Tim's got one on the lighter side here, you know, lighter side of things. So who, who's your scumbag this week? I'm also going to go after a sports commissioner. Uh, and one that we've gone after before, but I'm, I'm going to do it for a very different reason this week. Um, we saw a side of Lucas Glover uh, at, in Memphis at St. Jude that no one wanted to see. And that side was his very sweaty ass. We are 
in the hottest stretch of like the world's history. And these guys are still out there in pants. And, and you want to talk about a good PR move? How about we let these fucking guys wear shorts? Liv does it. Women's golf does it. College golf does it. Why are we still wearing pants on the PGA Tour? Scott, I had to go into the office for half the day today for the new job. And I had to wear pants for half the day in an air conditioning office. And I got like a giant leg zit from like the sweat and stuff on my leg from having to wear pants for half a day. Indoors. Air conditioning. These guys are out there. I mean, Lucas Glover's pants, they literally look like mine when I had to tee off at 1.30 in the afternoon for the HGA. I still remember like the first HGA tournament I ever played where I pulled the other kid's scorecard out of the back pocket, just soaked with ass sweat and gave him this look like, here's your card back, buddy. And this kid would not accept it. He made me walk to the HGA official and get a clean, dry card and move all of his scores onto there. But what are we doing? Like. I get golf's a gentleman's game, and in the early 1900, gentlemen wore pants, but it's fucking 2023. I'd so much rather see Lucas Glover's calves than to see his soaking wet ass wet on national TV for hours on end. Well, if you're going to do that, at least make the schedule better. I mean, well, you know- a, there was a weather delay, so they had to push it. They had to push it back, and then it was humid as shit because it rained. Well, but, like, let's be honest. It's Memphis in fucking August. Well, it's that's going to be saying. hot. That's what I'm saying. It's like, you know, when the, the tour season starts, I mean, they're usually playing in the tropics because those are the only places where you can get, like, 80-degree temperatures. Why are we playing anywhere south of the Mason-Dixon line in the heat of summer? I mean, that's the time when you want to sit there and say, hey, Seattle, you want to host a, you want to host an event? Upstate New York, Maine. You want to host an event? You know that. Well, just let the guys wear shorts. You can yeah. wear shorts to practice rounds. Like, I mean, if you don't like, if you're Tiger Woods and you're one of those people who you don't want people to see your legs, okay, you can still wear pants. If you want to wear pants, you can wear pants. But by God, let them wear shorts. It is like at first. I remember we talked about when Liv first came out how weird it was to watch these guys in shorts. But again. I'd so much rather see that than man sweaty ass. Like it's, it was fucking gross. Like, I'm sorry, but I'm happy that Lucas Glover won a couple tournaments, but also has the man never heard of a moisture wicking fabric. He's out there wearing like cotton docker pants from 1995. Man, my, my pants in 1995, uh, <laughs> you're kind of throwing me under the bus there. No, no. Hey, let me tell you, pants have come a long way, Scott. <laughs> Material is way better now. No, I, I pretty much, uh, I, I love the dry fit stuff, you know, that, that's kind of come out. And that's, uh, especially for people who are, you know, into exercise, you know, dry fit's the way to go. But one thing I will say is that, you know, I don't know if, do you have the, what's the opposite of a scumbag? A delight. A delight. Rory McIlroy is a delight. Uh, I don't know. I was going to say Spieth. I was going to say Spieth, but, but what, what did Rory do this week? So he was talking about, you know, the big event that he's got to play. And he says, you know, but I've got a bachelor party I got to go to, but I've got at least two days to dry out before I play in the event. And you're like, okay, you're, yeah, he's, he's going to a bachelor party. He's going to, he's going to get sauced, but he's got at least two days to dry out before, you know, the, the important event. So, you know, he, he's got his priority straight. I, the thing is, is that, and, and this is, this is, and, and 
what ties together our two stories is I think that we have to make sports more fun. That's that's the big key. And because you were mentioning like the uh, the Iowa State quarter was it Iowa State the quarterback who bet seven plus dollars. Yeah. You've got to. There's got to be some common sense. It was like when the NFL told Icky Woods that he had to do his Icky shuffle on the sideline. You're just like, come on. You know, what are we doing? It's a game, right? At the end of the day, it's a game, and we can't take it too seriously. And that's why I think players like Rory uh, and, and Jordan Spieth, who um, there's a video of, you know, he signed for every single kid he waited for him after a round because he had to do his media responsibilities, and they hit him with a P test for a drug test. And so he had to go do that. Uh, and so it took a lot longer. And he said, you know what? I appreciate all you kids waiting for me. I'm signing for every one of you. And this one kid had nothing for him to sign. He's like, will you sign my Gatorade bottle? And he's like, uh, odd request. But yeah, sure. And he signed for him. And it's, you know, when I was a kid, it was the best players of the team came and signed for when he went to a baseball game. You know, the Astros send Seth Martinez out there now to go do it. It's, you know, Jose Altuve is a different cat. He does it. Every now and then he'll go out there and do some stuff like that. But um, being accessible to fans, making it fun for the kids, and 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 not taking yourself too seriously, like 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 Roy being able to joke and say, "Yeah, I'm, I'm going on a bender for the next three days." Peace. Like it's fun because you know what? We've all been on a bachelor party. Uh, we know what goes on, and and it it's nice to remember that these guys are real human beings too. Sometimes I think that gets so lost in the the idolization or the celebrity or the, you know, the, the brightness of their star. People forget these guys are human beings too. They're, you know, whether it's the videos of, of Jordan Spieth with his son or his, his child or, you know, Rom and his wife and kids coming over after a win or all those moments make it uh, more personable, more human and more enjoyable. So uh, a couple of delights this week from the PGA tour, it sounds like. Absolutely. You know, and, and that's where, you know, if shorts would make it more fun for them, if it would make it to where they could have more fun, you know, be more active because you can't, you know, when you're, when you're sweating off, sweating off your ass. Yeah. You don't want to stick around afterwards. Well, you don't want to stick around afterwards. You don't want to, um, you don't want to just, you know, be jovial and, and run around and maybe do high fives with the, you know, with, with, with the crowd, you know, that, that's the thing is that, you're paying, and I, I haven't been to a PGA Tour event probably in at least ten years. Like seventy-five I mean, bucks minimum. I mean, that's that's a ton. No, I want to get. Cheap. I want to get it's my money's. Cheap. I want to get my money's worth. You know, Absolutely. I want to. I want to. You know, I want to see great shot making, but I want to sit there and you know, because you know, back when the Houston Open used to be at the TPC, the most fun, uh, fun thing to do is to find a hole, and just camp out. At that hole and watch all the different guys come through. We used to do that at, uh, I think, number 13 was like a par five with an island green. So, you know, that was fun. You know, watching guys, you know, from 250 sit there and say, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get on this thing. Because you see just as many, you know, hit it in the drink as you see, you know, hit the green and make, you know, birdie or eagle. And that was fun. And that was back in the days when, you know, it was like maybe 10 bucks to get in. Uh, just crazy, but yeah, sports have got to be more fun. You know, you, I'm with you. these guys, you know, and, and what's the average life expectancy, you know, it, it's just crazy. Okay. So 
Any other uh, any other uh, interesting uh, X's this week? No, or anything? I think uh, <laughs> I think I, I I really I really don't get on the old Twitter uh, much anymore, and if I do, it's it's kind of just to see what's trending. So I think uh, I think that's about all we're gonna have for for everybody this week. It's been um, as always a pleasure uh, being able to, to be a part of everyone's week. And, um, hopefully we, you know, we were supposed to have a guest this week. Didn't quite work out. I'm hoping maybe we can wrangle him in next week or, um, somewhere else down the line, but, um, a lot to look forward to here in the sports world, especially the Houston sports world, uh, the next week with, with the Texans preseason, uh, game number two coming and, and the Astros trying to chase down another, uh, AO West title. Plus, you know, we've got Big 12 football right around the corner. And Big 12 football coming. And, um, you know, at some point, Scott's going to get back out to a golf course. I've been consistently playing. And uh, we can keep you in the loop on on how that's looking because parenthood has raised my, uh, my handicap a good stroke already. Okay. Before we tell you where we can find us, please interact with us. Uh, you, can, uh, you can definitely tweet at us or X at us. Um, and we will respond even if, you know, we don't get on as much. I, I definitely look to see if I have any mentions. So if you have any ideas for scumbags or if you sit there, Hey, hey why don't you guys talk about, you know, this over here, you know, we'll definitely take a look plus that on the, on the Facebook page as well. But Tim, where can the folks find you? As always, Tim underscore Costello 10 on Twitter, uh, same tag on threads. Uh, and again, the as Scott mentioned, the uh, the Facebook page there, the Snap Hook uh, page on Facebook. Um, I am at S Barzilla at both now X and Threads, and um, I have my own Substack uh, and write for Battle Red Blog and Juanita Jean. So just a whole lot of writing. You can you, know, you can find me somewhere. Uh, interact, please, with the show. You know, let us know what you're thinking. Let us know. You know. Uh, what you thought of you know, our last two guests? We we got had some pretty good guests the last two times. Uh, who would you like to see? Who who would you like to see us? You know, try to uh, tackle here on the show. We'll, we'll reach out and get some more exciting guests for y'all. All right, we appreciate everybody who joins us each and every week and has made the Snap Hook a part of your life. We appreciate you. We love you, and we love doing this for you every single week. We'll be back with you next week on the Snap Hook. Thank you for tuning in to the Snap Hook and making Scott and I a part of your week. Wanted to recognize that our intro song is called Energetic Indie Rock by Alex Grohl, and his outro music is Good Vibe by Twisterium. We appreciate everyone who tunes in each and every week and is part of the Snap Hook movement. We look forward to seeing you next week on the Snap Hook.